here every month, every day, every moment. Each one of us is preparing for eternity. If your life, when you look at it in total, is a house, what home will you build? In an essay entitled Beautiful Old Age, 19th century Presbyterian pastor James Russell Miller said it this way, Old age is the harvest of all the years that have gone before. It is the barn into which all the sheaves are gathered. It is the sea into which all the rills and rivers of life flow from their springs in the hills and valleys of youth and manhood. We are each, in all our earlier years, building the house in which we shall have to live when we grow old. And we may make it a prison or a palace. The important practical question is, how can we so live that our old age, when it comes, shall be beautiful and happy? Miller's thesis question is a question about faithful endurance. From his earliest days, John MacArthur has built a sturdy house. He's prepared well for his days as an elder statesman. After 82 years on this planet and nearly 60 years of preaching, he's an example to all of us, particularly pastors of perseverance. He lives today with joy and without regret. For him, old age is beautiful and will continue to be so as he faithfully carries on the work of the ministry until Christ calls him home. What we're trying to do in this episode is consider the sum of it all, the portrait of faithful endurance, the house that Mac built. And I'm not talking about Grace Church. Jesus built that. I'm talking about a life lived to the glory of God, a life without compromise, a life of diligent effort, a life of sacrificial service that reminds all of us to be careful how we live because the outcome of life is determined by the days that make up its span. My name is Austin Duncan. I'm the director of the MacArthur Center for Expository Preaching at the Master Seminary. This is the podcast from the Center, and this is Season 1, The Expositor, The Life and Preaching of John MacArthur. Fifty years, five decades, a half a century. To put it in perspective, let's go back to the beginning, February 9th, 1969. Our Father, this morning as we approach this most serious passage of Scripture, may the Spirit of God use it to penetrate our hearts like a knife, to lay bare our inmost self, that we might know whether our relation to Jesus Christ is real or whether it is not. God, we pray that Christ might be exalted in this particular message this morning, that he might be lifted up. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
That was John MacArthur's opening prayer from his first sermon as the pastor of Grace Community Church. Cold wind and rain marked that Sunday morning. A few hundred people braved the weather to hear that young preacher. At the time, none of them would have believed that gray day would be the opening sentence of a story that is at least 52 years long. And no one, certainly not John and Patricia MacArthur, would have imagined that exactly 50 years later, thousands would be at Grace Community Church on February 10th, 2019, another cold, rainy Sunday, to mark a nearly unprecedented half-century of pastoral ministry at one church. I I am a singularly blessed person. I have no idea why the Lord uh, chose me and prepared me and set my course, um, put me in the family that he put me in and put me in touch with this church when I was in my 20s, uh, really too young for the responsibility, but here here I was, February 9th, 1969 with absolutely no idea of what the future would hold, but knowing I wanted to teach the Word of God. No pastor has, I can't imagine, ever had a more wonderful pastoral ministry than the Lord has given me. It's not something I have earned. It's not something I deserve. Uh, The Lord has overcome my weaknesses and my failures and singularly blessed me in spite of them uh, by bringing me here. Uh, I've never had a split-second desire to be anywhere else. Uh, this, this is my home. This is my life. Uh, you are my love. You are my joy and crown of rejoicing. And we will we'll share this fellowship forever in heaven. In that span of 50 years between those rainy Sundays, everything had changed. The world was turned upside down by a trip to the moon. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. A computer for every home. You're looking at a small portable computer called the IBM 5100. It's helping a lot of different people do their work more productively. A presidential resignation. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. The last days of Vietnam. With communist forces only a few miles from the center of Saigon, the order to evacuate American nationals is given. The end of the Beatles. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Of course, that was just the first decade of John's ministry. To get to year 50, he'd preach through the fall of communism. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Operation Desert Storm. Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. The rise of the internet age. You've got mail. He's seen 11 of these guys come and go. The President of the United States! The terrorist attacks of 9-11. The other trade center's down. It's down. It's down. Two more wars. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq. And the financial crisis of 2008. 
What in the world is happening on Wall Street? To make it to 50 years, MacArthur had to endure bell bottoms and disco. The fake out of Y2K. The entire world prepared for an incoming unnatural disaster of unprecedented scale. Followed by the birth of social media. I think Facebook is an online directory for colleges. And the first sign of the death of social media. So what is TikTok and how do you use it? J-Mac has seen it all, and he's outlasted countless cultural, theological, and evangelical fads. At this point, the only one that's been around longer than J-Mac is Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. As Paul Twist would say, God save the Queen. She's been on the throne for 69 years and counting. John MacArthur is the Queen Elizabeth of pastors. Perhaps the greatest changes in MacArthur's lifetime have been the cultural ones. Those shifts are most clearly seen in the Supreme Court's abortion ruling of 1973 and the same-sex marriage ruling of 2015. The world has dramatically changed since 1969. Family values have frayed, evangelicalism has splintered, church attendance is declining, and Christianity isn't the cultural and political force it used to be. But through all the upheavals, John MacArthur has endured. He's kept on preaching. He's preached to baby boomers. Then Generation X came along. They were followed by millennials. Finally, members of Generation Z now make up a significant portion of Grace Church. To start figuring out what has kept John MacArthur both relevant and in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt would say, spending himself for a worthy cause, let's go back nearly 50 years to the summer of 1972, just over three years after John became the pastor of Grace Church. Three years, by the way, is the average tenure of most American pastors. A writer named Lowell Sandra profiled Grace Church in the Moody Monthly Magazine in 1972. He titles his article, The Church with 900 Ministers. Early in my preaching through Ephesians, um, we came to the spiritual gifts thing, and I did a study on that and told people that God had that the Spirit of God had gifted them for ministry to the church. They needed to be involved, and that's when the Moody guy, Lowell Saunders, wrote the article, The Church with 900 Ministers. We had 900 people. He was stunned by the fact they were all involved because we'd been through the spiritual gifts emphasis, and that's what unleashed everything. When it went from being a guy preaching in a pulpit to an everybody, everybody, Ministering, and that's that's been the life of Grace Church up until even now. I've never been the the guy who has to hold it together, and I think people might not understand that. They may see me as some kind of CEO who operates all these various aspects, and that that couldn't be further from the truth. Throughout the 1970s, John's first full decade in ministry, the church experienced exponential growth, almost 900 members which was unheard of in those days. 
But the church wasn't adding spectators. It was adding ministers. That moody monthly article said it this way. The dynamic 32-year-old preacher is not the minister, as he would be quick to tell you. His people are the ministers. Here's John talking about that very dynamic in a sermon from Acts chapter 2 on June 11, 1972, the same month that article was published. What he says here about the living organism of the church, not the organization of it, has guided the church for a half a century. The church is to be organized only as it accommodates the moving of the Spirit of God, flexible enough so that the Spirit can move another direction without throwing everything into chaos. Lecoq said on one occasion, Christians, when they get organized, become very unchristian. And that's very often true. When the structure restricts the work of the Spirit, then the structure isn't right. And so these people weren't too concerned about the organization. They didn't start a committee immediately after all the preparation. They just got at it and preached. And then later on, they let the structure catch up and accommodate the work of the Spirit. And so they were completely unconcerned about organization. They were a living organism. Now, you don't have to sit down and plan your body. You don't have to do that. Plan your activities for your hand for the day. Plan the activities for your feet. You sit down and map it all out. Now, knee, you be sure you cooperate with ankle there. We want to get a subcommittee to make sure that thigh goes along. When you have an organism, you don't need to have an organization. And so the structures are always minimal in the New Testament because they were a living, breathing body of Christ, really doing it the way God intended them to do it. And the only kind of structure they had was to accommodate the ministry that the Spirit was directing. Starting that first decade, John focused on preaching God's Word, training leaders, and equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. He wasn't distracted by the organization, the structure, or strategic planning. MacArthur didn't care about the org chart, a mission statement, or church growth strategies. He spent most of his time in his study, Bible open, digging into God's Word, preparing for Sunday. And I've always believed that the most important thing that I could ever do with my life was to exposit the scripture as a pastor of a church. So the focus was always on expository preaching and I never wanted to do something else that would take me away from that. Not long ago, I had the privilege of speaking with eminent church historian Ian Murray founder of the Banner of Truth, assistant to Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel, and a prolific biographer. He's written books on Lloyd-Jones, Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and a 2009 biography of John MacArthur titled Servant of the Word and Flock. Our conversation was, without a doubt, one of the most spiritually beneficial I have ever had. You're going to hear a lot from that conversation throughout this episode, starting now with what Mr. Murray said about John's singular focus. His priorities have stayed the same through the years, haven't they? You might think that a man who's preached for so long, he wouldn't need to do much every week to prepare new sermons. Not at all. He, he is as devoted to being alone in his preparation as he ever was. Um, you know, often was it 30, 30 hours a week alone? 
with his Bible and prayer and his preparation. Mr. Murray is talking about the first rule of faithful ministry. Prioritize the study of God's word. Make sure the Bible monopolizes your time. Only then will you be ready to feed God's word to God's people. You see, the house of Mac's life and ministry was built on the scriptures. John, his ministry continues fresh because he's not resting on things that he said or did years ago. It's a continuing living experience and um, it's fresh. And more than that, the, the people know that. People come on the Lord's day, not not primarily to hear the preacher, but they come to meet with God and to receive food from Christ. Keep it simple, preacher. Understand that you have to prioritize the study of God's word. If you don't, you will burn out. In those early years, MacArthur didn't feel the need to do everything in the church. He focused on the thing he had to do, which was prepare to preach on Sunday. The work of the ministry was everyone's responsibility, not just MacArthur's, and so he equipped the saints and trained the leaders. My style of leadership, which is basically to trust somebody and leave them alone. I don't want to micromanage anybody. I don't want to tell them what to do. I don't want to frame up what they do. I already know when they're in the position they're in that their character is evident and it's been proven and it's not being questioned. And their eagerness and their motivation is is internal so that I don't have to I don't have to move people from the outside and uh, that they have skills with people and, and, and just let that dynamic develop. John MacArthur does not think he is omnicompetent. He recognizes that God has uniquely gifted him to preach, just as God has uniquely gifted other people to serve the church in crucial ways. So he trusts God by entrusting the work of the ministry to the people of God. He doesn't micromanage them. Honestly, all I care about is your character and your and your effort and your endeavor. And if you if you if people come to me and say, you know, this is what we're thinking, what do you think? I'll answer that. Or if they say, what do you think about this plan? Is this a good way to go? We want to make you have you sign off on this. Great, I think it's a great way to go, or whatever. But I don't even know those things unless somebody chooses to ask me about them, because the, the, this has to work. Uh, based on trust, and I don't just mean trust in the goodwill of a person, but trust in the capabilities of a person. Um, the people who micromanage are trying to protect themselves because they're afraid somebody else is going to do something that somehow will diminish them. That kind of leadership cultivates trust and often leads to affection and love. No ministry can endure without those things. But that same leadership style is not without risk, as MacArthur found out as his ministry reached its second decade. There was a day in Grace Church history that's now referred to as Black Thursday. So I was in the office and there's like five guys there and I, I said, uh, right out of nowhere, I just said, I'm so glad you guys are my friends. and so thankful for you and one of them immediately said if you think we're your friends you got another thing coming 
never forget that line. And I just was stunned. Uh, really? Yeah, those are guys I personally discipled. Young guys, around my age. One of them um, had basically sown the seeds consistently of hostility toward me. Not only did several men on staff at Grace Church turn against MacArthur, but they also sought out others and tried to convince them that the pastor was up to no good. It was a full-blown, as the French say, coup d'etat. Well, they went to the elders and they said, you know, we've got to get John out of the pulpit. He's too, he's too powerful, too much influence. Uh, there was one of them that was a brand new guy doing an internship there and he joined them and he was living at my house with his wife in my house. And um, I went to him one day when he came home and I said, I told him I know what he's doing. I mean, you're a guest in my house, you're living in my house and you're doing everything you can to join a conspiracy to undermine me. Why were these men so hostile to J-Mac? Why did they turn against him? It was always jealousy. It rose out of the envy of of someone who was close and there, there was a sort of a pathology to it the young guys would come and i was kind of the hero for a while and then then um, i became sort of a problem to them because of envy or jealousy and then i went from being a hero to being an anti-hero and, and then that shift they feel like in order to elevate themselves they, they need to undermine me and it only takes one person to do that. Um, sometimes there's maybe two or three, but it only takes one to sow the seeds of discord. Those of us who have come to Grace Church in more recent years can't imagine anyone trying to kick out MacArthur. It's hard to believe there was a time when his future at the church was in doubt, when his ministry was on the precipice. But that's exactly what happened not long after those men turned against their pastor. The crisis grew worse and worse until the elders gathered for an all-day meeting to decide John's fate. We were in a long meeting and uh, this attack had been going on and going on. And so finally the elders were all together and were doing an all-day meeting. and. Uh, they were throwing all kinds of accusations against me, and I just listened, and eventually I said, okay, look, I, I don't know what you're going to do with all of this. Apparently, these are issues that concern you, so I'll go back to, I'll leave the meeting, and I'll go back, and I'll wait around for a while, and when you guys come to a decision, let me know. If you want me to leave, I'll leave. That's fine. Whatever you want me to do. So, I don't know, it was three or four hours, maybe maybe five hours later. Those five hours of waiting would torture most people, but not MacArthur. Instead of pacing anxiously and sweating bullets, wondering if the coup would prevail, MacArthur trusted the sovereignty of God and had work to do. I was really preparing for Sunday. While the usurpers tried to sway the room, MacArthur is in his office, parsing. That's classic MacArthur. He's working on his sermon. And before we find out what the elders said when they called John back into the meeting, we need to briefly talk about those five hours of waiting and study because in them, 
we learn a profound lesson on perseverance and trust. Listen as John describes why he was so calm while he waited. I hold the responsibility tightly, but I also recognize that I have to hold it loosely because I get the seriousness of the responsibility of shepherding the flock of God that he's given me. But I also know that this is not about me and I, I belong to the Lord. And if, if even for the wrong reasons, the, this, the Lord's going to move me on. And many times good guys leave bad churches because those churches mistreat them. If that's what it is, it's fine. To endure, to be faithful to the ministry God has called them to. Pastors need to hold their ministry tightly. They need to be absorbed in their church, invested in their people, preaching the word with passion and teaching with every ounce of their strength. But at the same time, they must hold that same ministry loosely because ultimately it's not their church or their ministry. It belongs to God. While the elders were deciding John's future, he modeled that faith. He was prepared to let go of his position at Grace Church, to trust it to God and respond with gratitude, not bitterness. There's no way he or any shepherd endures without that kind of confidence. Now, back to the boardroom. Here again is John describing what happened when he was summoned back into the elders' meeting. So I was honest in saying, you just tell me what you want. I'll leave if you want me to leave. Um, if, that's, if that's what you feel is best for the church. But they, they were struggling so much they couldn't even come to a conclusion. And uh, finally, it just, I think it became a situation where the consensus was, this is just a ridiculous hassle. Because the strength of guys on defending me was just matched up by the fewer guys that were attacking me, and they couldn't resolve anything. And what, what happened at the end was the elders asked those adversarial guys to step off the board. So that, and that, that was the choice. But I was honest in saying, look, if you don't want me, that's fine. Because so, I trust the Lord in the process. John MacArthur is not the first pastor to endure opposition. During my phone call with Ian Murray, he connected the leadership revolt at Grace Church with Charles Simeon, an Anglican pastor in Cambridge, England, who served from 1782 to 1846. Simeon pastored the same church, Holy Trinity, until his death and endured incredible suffering and opposition through the years. Simeon, his life has resemblances to John's Particularly at the beginning, you know, the, the opposition he had, the church building where they tried to lock him out of his own building, shut pews and pews doors, and that went on for many years. And and those trials in early ministry are very productive. And, and John, John had to go through a number. And if we depended on men for our encouragement, we would give up in that sort of situation. People, you know, just observing John's present ministry would hardly realize the burdens and tests and difficulties that he's been through. And they're all, they're all under God's hand, are made of blessing. 
because they, they develop him and his trust in Christ and they, they, they benefit results to the people. Charles Simeon found strength in God alone. He didn't crave his people's encouragement or validation. Because John went to the same source for his strength, he was able to hold on to his ministry loosely and show all of us the second lesson for endurance in ministry, trusting Christ through opposition. Believe that God has numbered your days in ministry. And if he wants you at a church for five years, that's how long you'll be there. And if he wants you in the same place for half a century, nothing, not even an attempted insurrection, can keep you from that. As we consider the house of faithful endurance that J. Mac built, to find our third lesson from these 52 years of perseverance, let's look at John's life away from Sunday. Monday through Saturday. Let's see who he is when he's not standing in front of the crowd. What dad did on Sundays, dad did Monday through Friday. I didn't, there wasn't a big gap in in behavior or language or the way he treated mom. This is Matt MacArthur, the oldest son of John and Patricia and a previous guest on this podcast. He's confirming that John's character outside church aligned with the truth he was proclaiming from the pulpit. Now listen to what he said when I asked him what the impact of his father's preaching was in his life. I think if I was to just pick one concept or one word, I, I would I'd probably camp on the idea of um, integrity. If you are willing to mine the scriptures like that has done for so, so many years. But the level of his personal life matched Sunday mornings. But the real impact, I think, just personally, has just been to see a life of integrity. Ian Murray saw the same consistency when he visited Grace Church in 2009, and the two men developed a sweet friendship. Here he is describing his main takeaway from that visit and the many conversations he's had with John over the years. The, the main lesson I learned in more time with John is that he's just the same in private as he is in public, absolutely. Serious, happy, encouraging, humble, always approachable. It's, a, it's a, been a tremendous encouragement to me. He's a friend and a, a real encourager and helper to me. In recent years, we've seen apparently gifted men disqualify themselves from ministry. They didn't fall by the wayside because they didn't have the talent, skill, or know-how. They had to leave the ministry because they lacked integrity. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 says it this way, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. For the pastor, there can be no phoniness or duplicity. Hypocrisy is deadly. He must be a man of integrity, and he must live a life, build a house without compromise. The three vital things in standing, remaining standing for the Lord, are conviction, conduct, and character. There are are hidden factors 
that determine a man's usefulness. They're not things easily written on a CV. You may have two men of exactly the same abilities and eloquence and personal, personal sort of attractiveness, but one of them may be really used of God and the other with the same gift, not so. Why is that? It's because the spiritual element is missing. Pastor, a ministry of enduring faithfulness starts with integrity. And that integrity is best seen in your home. How do you treat your children? How do you care for and lead your wife? A spiritual leader's care for his family is crucial because his conduct is best seen by those who see what he's like when no one else is around. And because they see his integrity, they support and strengthen his ministry. Um, I should mention his wife his dear wife Patricia you know behind I believe almost every useful eminent ministry there stands a devoted woman and wife I know there are some exceptions and there are some bachelors that have been eminent in the service of Christ but not many and in John's case he would be the first to tell you that his wife's presence and sympathy and support and prayer and example in every way has been such a, a element in his ministry that it would have been very different without her. And it's wonderful, isn't it, how God prepares marriages in heaven for all Christians, I believe. Our lives are planned by the Savior. And uh, it's a lesson, too, for students who aren't yet married to make it a matter of real prayer that they're led to the right person if, if marriage is in their view, and I hope it is in many cases. Lots of pastors leave the ministry because they lack character. Others leave voluntarily. It's called pastoral burnout or exhaustion. A 2013 study from the Schaefer Institute reports that 1,700 pastors leave the ministry each month, citing depression, burnout, and exhaustion as the primary reasons. In their loss of motivation and hope, they no longer have joy in ministry. How has John MacArthur avoided that? Why is he not only still going strong, but still energized and joyful as he cruises through year 53? The answer is simple. It's the fuel that keeps MacArthur going, and it's the fourth ingredient of faithful, enduring ministry. For 25 years of the 50-some, I have been teaching a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then John all over again. So for 25 years, I was digging down deep into every verse of the four gospels. He is the largely the theme of the Old Testament as well as the rest of the New Testament. So, yeah, if you're an expositor, you never get very far away from Christ. Uh, and the Old Testament anticipates Him. Um, the Old Testament anticipates His coming. The Gospels give you the history of His coming and His ministry. The Book of Acts, the proclamation of Christ, the epistles, the explanation of Christ, the, the Book of Revelation, the glorification of Christ. So he, any, any 
effort to dig down in the depths of Scripture is going to reveal the unmatched, immeasurable glory of the person of Christ. And that's what elicits that love. And that love then continues to drive you to want to honor Him. Love for Christ. That's the central motivation for John's pulpit ministry. It is the defining characteristic of the house that he built. He can't stop preaching Christ. After MacArthur finished preaching through the New Testament verse by verse, he went right back into the Gospels, expositing the Gospel of John a second time. All those years absorbing the Word kept John focused on the incarnate Word who gave him the strength to endure. I'm so captivated by him as a person and uh, the wonder of all wonders is that he loved me and died in my place. I can never get enough of him. I could go back to any gospel and do it all over again and just keep doing that the rest of my life because no one is like him. Christ is inexhaustible. I can't ever imagine a full comprehension of the incomprehensible Christ. So no matter how many years I have been doing this, I feel like I'm still scratching the surface of his glory. Um, Every time I go back to the Gospels, I see things that maybe are more clear to me this time than they've ever been before. Even in the Old Testament, I, I see Christ, because I know him so well from the Gospels, I can see where he's taught, being talked about in the Old Testament. And because I know the facts of his life so well, I understand their doctrinal significance in the epistles. And um, But no, you, you could preach another, I could preach another lifetime, 50 more years, and go back through the Gospels again and never, ever blink and say, no, this is redundant. A few years ago, John MacArthur wrote a modern-day creed a statement called, We Preach Christ. And of course, we're going to hear it read by Paul Twiss, professor of Bible exposition at the Master's Seminary, because no one reads creeds like Paul Twiss. We preach Christ, who is the eternal Son, one in nature with the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit, the triune God, who is the creator and life giver, as well as the sustainer of the universe and all who live in it who is the virgin-born Son of God and Son of Man, fully divine and fully human, who is the one whose life on earth perfectly pleased God and whose righteousness is given to all who by grace, through faith, become one with Him, who is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin that pleases God and whose death under divine judgment paid in full the penalty for the sins of His people, providing for them forgiveness and eternal life, who is alive having been raised from the dead by the Father, validating his work of atonement and providing resurrection for the sanctification and glorification of the elect to bring them safely into his heavenly presence, who is at the Father's throne interceding for all believers, who is God's chosen prophet, priest and king, proclaiming truth, mediating for his church and reigning over his kingdom forever, who will return suddenly from heaven to rapture his church unleash judgment on the wicked, bring promised salvation to the Jews and the nations, and establish his millennial reign on earth, who will, after that earthly reign, 
destroy the universe, finally judge all sinners and send them to hell, then create the new heavens and the new earth where he will dwell forever with his saints in glory, love and joy. This is the Christ we preach. No one could exercise that kind of ministry as Sean has done without the presence and the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm quite certain in John's view, it's much more Christ's work than his own. He, he has been there as a servant of Christ. And it's a great example to us whether our ministries are long or short. Christ has to be in them and we have to be with him and working with him. And apart from that, no work is of any permanent real consequence. Unlike John MacArthur, Robert Murray McShane had a short ministry. Born in Edinburgh in 1813, he was an ordained minister in the Church of Scotland for eight years. He was just 29 years old when he died and met his Savior in 1843. Even though his ministry was brief, he was every bit as faithful as MacArthur because he preached Christ. Here's what McShane said about faithfulness. A man cannot be a faithful minister until he preaches Christ for Christ's sake, until he gives up striving to attract people to himself and seeks only to attract them to Christ. And of the person of Christ, McShane said this, unfathomable oceans of grace are in Christ for you. Dive and dive again, and you will never come to the bottom of these depths. How many millions of dazzling pearls and gems are at this moment hid in the deep recesses of his ocean caves? It's not the length of your ministry that matters. It's the substance. And if that substance is Christ, it is a ministry of infinite value, no matter its length. In a 2007 sermon entitled Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, John MacArthur began with this question. What does Christianity offer? Why should someone become a Christian? It doesn't offer health or success or peace or comfort. It offers one thing. What Christianity offers you is Christ. Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity offers. That is a very simple, straightforward, one-word answer to what has become a very complicated issue. We offer Christ in offering the gospel. The surpassing theme of the scripture, the surpassing theme of the New Testament in particular, is Jesus Christ. And in not having Christ, you have nothing. And in having Christ, you have everything. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There's one final ingredient. One final reason John is still at it 52 years after he started preaching on that rainy Sunday in 1969. And this reason has nothing to do with John MacArthur. You can be faithful because God is faithful. 
you can get there. I'm living proof. I'm not special. I'm not super sanctified. I, I went through the exact same struggles you went through. This is John preaching in the final session of the 2019 Shepherds Conference. Just a few weeks after the 50th anniversary Sunday, he spoke to more than 3,000 pastors and church leaders about faithfulness, and he tried to help them understand the real reason why he'd made it all those years. Psalm 124. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side? <laughs> Let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Wow, what a psalm. What a psalm. God is faithful. And that's why John MacArthur has endured. The Lord has numbered all our days. He gives us all our breath and strength. He is the one who ultimately determines the length and impact of a man's ministry. God in his providence is the provider and sustainer of faithful endurance. In the providence of God, he put me where he put me. Um, and then he surrounded me with the people he surrounded me with. To, to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. There's no what ifs. I don't know that, I don't know what the providential components uh, would have been somewhere else. It is where it is with whomever it, the Lord sent. Uh, it, it was his plan for me. This is the thing I will say. I know I'm where God intended me to be. Like Jeremiah, I think from the womb, this was in the plan. I don't think this is B or C. Um, and I'm just so very grateful for that. So the, could it have happened to somewhere else? God can do anything he wants anywhere he wants to do it. But there are no contingencies in his providence. And in God's providence, John has lived to see more than half a century of ministry. He's lived longer than most of his friends and contemporaries, men like R.C. Sproul and Jim Boyce. And he's still around because God has kept him with us. And he remains in good health and in the ministry. John has not thought about quitting. Oh, it's a terrifying thought. Retirement. Why, why would I want to not do what is the highest calling in the world? As long as I can do it, um, and I, at, at this point, I know more than I've ever known because I've, you know, had all these accumulated years, and I still feel like I can connect the dots. You couldn't throw enough problems at me in any point now or in the future to make me doubt the joys that have come 
from ministry. What other way would you live your life? And it's not about who or where or how many people, but just to be able to serve the King, to put on the uniform and march in the triumph with Christ. That's, that's all, that's enough. And who would ever want to give up on that? Ultimately, this is how MacArthur understands perseverance. He's still going because God still has work for him to do. There are still depths of Christ to be explored. There is still Grace Church to love and shepherd, to see Christ formed in them. While strength remains, he will gladly spend and be spent for their souls, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And he will continue to build that house that Miller talked about. Here is that old Presbyterian preacher one more time. Only Christ can make any life, young or old, truly beautiful or truly happy. Only He can cure the heart's restless fever and give quietness and calmness. Only He can purify that sinful fountain within us, our corrupt nature, and make us holy. To have a peaceful and blessed ending to life, we must live it with Christ. Such a life grows brighter, even to its close. Its last days are the sunniest and the sweetest. The more earth's joys fail, the nearer and more satisfying do the comforts become. The nests over which the wing of God droops, which in the bright summer days of prosperous strength lay hidden among the leaves, stand out uncovered, in the days of decay and feebleness, when winter has stripped the branches bare. And for such a life, death has no terrors. The tokens of its approach are but the land birds lighting on the shrouds, telling the weary mariner that he is nearing the haven. The end is but the touching of the weather-beaten keel on the shore of glory. At the end of that incredible conversation with Ian Murray, we had this exchange as we talked about longevity in ministry. I smile because my wife sometimes asks me how old I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's because we're both getting a little old. I am 90. 90 uh, years and old. And my dear wife is 91. Wonderful. So I am catching her up. I mean, Jim Packer once writes that you're not elderly till you're 87. Um, I think actually when you get uh, you begin to feel elderly probably varies quite a lot Um, and every stage of life is a new experience and one has to learn new things Uh, John is a a comparative youngster compared with me isn't he his grandfather was preaching when he was 1991 we hope that will maybe be true of John the Lord knows best that's the second time actually In recent days, I've heard John MacArthur called a youngster. At the seminary graduation, one of the most long-standing Sunday school teachers at our church approached MacArthur and asked him how old he was. Mr. Clint is 94 years old. And after John replied, Mr. Clint looked at him and said, well, you're still a youngster. Today, as John nears the end of his 53rd year, 
he still walks those same stairs to the pulpit. And he's a living example of God's faithful providence and humble dependence on the Savior. As the great missionary C.T. Studd said, Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, Twas worth it all. Only one life, Twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. God has not sustained John MacArthur so that he can spend his final days relaxing, waiting for heaven. He has sustained John MacArthur for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. John is motivated to endure because death is coming. He will stand before his Creator, he will give an account. And the same is true for all of us. Whether you're a preacher or a lumberjack, a scientist or a gardener, God will call you home one day. And it's only God who helps us to be steadfast, to endure the trials and temptations of life and serve joyfully along the way. Of course, that faithfulness will not likely be a half century in the same pulpit, pastoring the same church. But no matter the length of your days, the path is laid before you. Be humble, recognize that you're not omnicompetent, and trust God for the results. Be loving and look to God for strength and comfort when trials come. Be a man or woman of character, because that is the primary qualification, not just for ministry, but for all of life. And be centered on Christ. He is inexhaustible. He is glorious. He will sustain you because He faithfully endured to the end. If you are those things, God in His providence has promised to sustain you for the length of your days. Thanks for listening to The Expositor, Season 1 of the MacArthur Center Podcast. Thank you for your feedback, encouragement, and support. The response to this season has been far greater than we could have imagined. I think we should do a second season. Season 2 of the podcast will be available in the spring of 2022. We have more stories from the life of MacArthur to tell, including a more in-depth look at Black Thursday, which you heard a little bit about today and many other stories about the convictions and legacy of John MacArthur. Until next spring, stay tuned for a bonus episode or two, where we'll play more of the conversations you've heard throughout this season. The MacArthur Center Podcast is produced by Austin T. Duncan, Corey Williams, and Jeremy Vuolo. We're grateful for the editing help of Alex Johnson, and this season wouldn't have been what it was without the talents of Cody Signore. Special thanks to Ian Murray for that extraordinary conversation. And I have to say, I'm deeply grateful for my pastor, John MacArthur. I've been chasing him around with a microphone for a year and a half, forcing him to tell me story after story. And for me, it's been an absolute privilege. For more information about the MacArthur Center, go to MacArthurCenter.org. And for more information about the Master's Seminary, go to tms.edu. Until next time, ATD, out. Out.